This is an ABC podcast. For me, the first week, I was crying, to be honest, because I miss home. The work back in Fiji is not that pressure as the work that we faced here in the factory. Some of the workers that I've spoken to had no idea they were going to work in the meat factory. I've spoken to people that are allergic to pork and are working in the abattoirs dealing with pork. So they come across a lot of shock. When money is so tight that you can't afford for your children to go to school and you find it impossible to find a job in your country, working in wealthy countries like Australia and New Zealand can be really appealing. And work programs like the Pacific Australia Labour Mobility Scheme promise opportunities to experience the Australian way of life. But once you've filled out that registration form and you've been accepted into the program, what comes next? I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about what it's really like to work overseas. We probably all know someone who has either worked in Australia or is over here now. The Pacific Australia Labour Mobility Scheme aims to help people in the Pacific find much-needed employment and to help Australian businesses fill worker shortages. Melaya Duituranga was an office worker in Fiji before she signed up for the PAM scheme. She wanted to pay for her children's education and school books. Like many Pacific Islanders hoping to find passage to Australia, she selected all work options on the registration form, hoping she would be able to find better options once she arrived. We had meat process workers, we had tourism, which was hospitality, and we have the caregiver and the farm work. Those were the ones that was in the form that we could tick. We were given the choice whichever we wanted to tick. But since we were desperate, like desperate, we wanted uh, to come to Australia. So we just gave it all a tick. Even after arriving in Australia, Malaya didn't know exactly what she would be doing. She was soon assigned to a lamb processing company to work in an abattoir. I was put to the kill floor. That is actually where the, the process all start, where they kill the sheep. They slaughter the sheep and it's the lungs and everything is taken out. And you clean it up before it goes down to the boning room where they actually cut and pack up ready for export of the sheep. For me, the first week I was crying, to be honest. Because I miss home and uh, like I regretted at first because I didn't know that it was that hard. The work back in Fiji is not that this pressure as the work that we faced here in the factory. Uh, There's a difference that I can see here because I was in the office and being in the factory that was a bit different for me. And I can tell you because when I came, came from Fiji to Australia, I was 100 plus my weight. And just after a month's time, from 100, I went down to uh, 89, 89 kg. So you can tell how fast the work was. And we work with chains and machines and the knife. Uh, Like we killed 6,000 sheep in a day. Some of us, when we first came, we were very tired and some of us had to go to the hospital. Like for me, for example, I had my nails, it came out. So it was like swollen. I did call them and I told them what happened and they said, uh, if I can just come in and work and they'll give me an easy work. 
But actually what I did that whole day was a vacuum, which I have to vacuum the, the ship, which what eight hours. I really felt really tired. That was not an easy work. Workers are provided accommodation with rent and other living expenses deducted from their pay. There were 40 of us in the, the group that came from Fiji. So we had two houses for women. One, there was four of us in one house and there's another six of them in another house, which we have our own bedroom, but we just share the, the toilet and the, the kitchen. For me, the first month, it was really hard because I was missing home. I was missing my kids. I was missing Fiji, the lifestyle. Eh? I was not used to the food. I was not used to the environment. It was really cold. And I just had my phone with me. That was the only way. I just have to call back home every minute. Most of us, when, whenever we finish work, we're just in our room with our phones and we are connecting to our, back to our families. As well as the loneliness, being so far from family can be devastating when their loved ones marry or get sick or die, especially when visiting is almost impossible. One of us, when we came here, just after a week or two weeks, the mom passed away. So, you know, we just have to comfort him here. And we did some uh, collections of money, which we have to send back for the mom. And he was just online day off where he just sees his mom being buried. It was a bit hard. And when people are away from their partners, that divide can lead to infidelity. Although Melia says rumors of cheating aren't always fair. Mostly we are seeing on Facebook. We've been blamed so much the neck people, and they're making fun of us that we are dating. And also there's a problem from the other end, the other side, like Fiji. Most of the women, uh, when the men, they are paid, some of the women expect the men especially to be sending them money every, just like they get their pay and then they send the money. And then the other minute, they are asking for money again. The men, especially the men, the men tends to get lonely. And sometimes they have those issues. And you see, we just mingle among us. You know, like they share their problem with this person or maybe somebody's around. And sometimes when they call back home, since we are lonely here, they are somewhere doing other functions, which they really need to understand that they have to be on the other side, supporting the husband on this side too. Because what they think that when we come here, we are dating everywhere. Uh, no, that is not the case. Like for us here, we just mind our own business. We, we do our own thing. But when this problem arising from the other end, back at home, that is how it reflects back here. Then they need to talk to some people. And that's how we get to know each other. And sometimes that's how we fall in love again with each other. Just by sharing your problem. They say we get to get the blame. But for our case, uh, uh, we haven't been seeing anybody like that. We're just minding our own business. Belaya says... The scheme could be better if workers received better training in the job and were better informed about their rights. For me, even from my experience, I, I didn't know how to steal the knife. I was not taught. I was just thrown in and I was told to do the work, which I had a hard time dealing with that. And uh, the other thing is the machines around. We were not told about the, the danger of the machines around. Those are some of the things in there that we just need. And uh, the relation, eh? the relation between the workers and uh, the supervisors. And the first time when we came, like some of us, we were treated not really that good. And then later on, now when time goes on, we have to be strong for ourselves in order to face them.
But it was lucky because most of us, you know, we are educated back at home, eh? and uh, we can speak English. So we do understand how to uh, take care of ourselves, how to confront, and how to react to whatever they come against us. She worries that the lack of information contributes to people breaching their work visas by absconding from the program. They can figure when they go to Australia, they can go, whatever. They'll, they'll just try and come. And once when they see, when they come and see the work, which is hard, they'll just give in and they'll run away somewhere else. And that's why some of us will be running away. <laughs> If they cannot see, that's a problem. When we cannot face, we cannot uh, fight for ourselves eh? and we can't do the work, that's what happened. Like some people have relatives, they might just run away there. Because they can't face their mountain. They can't face whatever is in front of them. Communication is the barrier and how they are treated. The other thing before they bring in the workers, I think it would be better if, if the workplace, they know a bit of their tradition, how these people live and they are familiar with the workers that they are bringing in. They have to have a better understanding of bringing in people before they reach here. Because... That is one of the issues that we faced, eh? when the people cannot communicate well with the workplace. And that's when, you know, like they don't feel like going to the workplace. Or maybe they cannot do the work at that certain area where they are put. And they don't just live. On our visa, it's written there, clearly written there, it is a limited visa. You know, where you cannot work for any other place. You just have to work for that company. And what we were told back in Fiji, once if, you're, if you don't want to work for that company, your visa is terminated. So that is the fear where people lie, and that's what happens. They tend to run away because they can't do the work. And the other thing is, like some of us, we are coming in partners. They do the application together, husband and wife or your partner together. And once they come here, then what happens? One of them is taken to another place and the other one is taken to the other place. So the, the thing they always want is if they can move in together. Despite the pitfalls, Melia has been able to start building a life and is using the income she has been earning to support her family. We always here back in Fiji, there's plenty of opportunity in Australia. That is what I was imagining, opportunities of educating my children better, buying things like what is needed back at home. The things that we cannot afford back in Fiji, those were the things that I was really looking forward to, sending, saving and getting those things back at home. I was looking forward to great opportunity, like if I can finish and even educate myself, like universities. We have big universities here, which I thought maybe we can do further courses and not only stick to meat company, maybe we can do other things because our visa was limited there. Eh? I have been able to start buying things back at home for my kids and actually for the house too, upgrading the house. When we come to Australia, they think we are all millionaires and we've got all the money in the world. Some people, they actually ask us if we can help them back with this and that and that. They might feel a bit jealous that we are here. When she compares life in Australia to her life in Fiji, she tries to focus on the positives. When I came here, there was something that I missed back home. For us, just like you live today and you eat today, you don't care about tomorrow. Like here, the food is really good. We can say the, the food is great. 
everything is great. But we have to keep working. Uh, back in Fiji, you have more family time. Compared to Australia, it's all about work. Both sides are good. Fiji is good because you have your family time. Back in Fiji, I was just going out to the club maybe, enjoying myself sometimes. I go out a lot with my friends. We drink kava and go out to clubs. But here, I have no time for that. It's just myself and I have to be concentrating on my work. And it's bad too, because you won't be able to get the goals for your children. And most of them just drop out of school because of the grog session and they are tempted to uh, hear temptation. But here, there's a lot of opportunity where you just concentrate on your work and yourself. You don't have to think a lot about other things, like we have to go here, we have to do that, we have to do... In Fiji, there's so many occasions and so many functions. Just you and your work... And you save your money. That's Melia Duituranga from Fiji, who is at the start of a four-year visa under the Pacific Australian Labour Mobility Scheme. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. One of the hardest things for Pacific laborers is the isolation of living away from family in a strange land where nothing is like you expected. Waso Matthews tried to make that easier for workers from Papua New Guinea who find themselves in South Australia. She's the president of Moitu Koita and Wantox Association in South Australia. She says coming to Australia can be a real shock for workers she's met. A lot of them got no idea where they're going and what to expect. Some of the workers that I've spoken to had no idea they were going to work in the meat factory. I've spoken to people that are allergic to pork and are working in the abattoirs dealing with pork. So they come across a lot of shock. I gather that people that are recruiting them don't actually explain to them the job description and environment they go into, what the work in, what's, what's involved. But they can't complain because they need work. How they survive, it depends on each individual. I can only speak for Papua New Guinean seasonal workers because I'm getting involved with the seasonal workers here. I don't know about other Pacific Islanders, the hardship they're going through or the, what their, their struggles are. Waso says some people don't even know what climate they will be arriving in. The Moitu Koita and Wantox Association in South Australia has stepped in to offer support in a range of ways. We're helping them with uh, whatever they need, food warm clothes, beddings, whatever they need to settle because they arrive in the middle of winter wearing shorts and T-shirts and thongs. They had no idea how cold South Australia will be. They've just got no idea about anything. Some of them have never been outside of their homes. and This is the first trip overseas to come and work. Our yeah. understanding are their employers towards the Pacific cultures and way of life. These workers have got a lot to offer to the community where they are, through church, through sports, and any community uh, organizations, other people can get involved. And they've got a lot, a lot to offer and contribute. Like learning from the boys that are here, I mean, you know, PNG, we're very culturally diverse. And I know my culture, my people, my province and village. I don't know about, you know, the central province or the other province in PNG, you know, their culture that well. But coming now and, and they being here 
and engaging with them and then learning about how talented they are musically, in sports, and they also some of them are, are tradies. The electricians, the the refrigerator men, the you know the scientists, you know they they're very talented, but there's no employment back home. That's why they're here. So why don't we respect them as human beings, as people, and they're here to contribute? Well, so when these workers face difficulties at work, or if they are sick, or if they don't know any work rights and need help in any way, who do they turn to and who supports them and uh, listens to their concerns? Well, I'm the only one they call. I get calls in the, at night time. I get phone calls at 6.30 in the morning, 7, 7.30. I have canceled my work in the morning to deal with the situation that the workers are facing. I'm scared of their mental health, scared they might run away or scared they might commit suicide. There's so much that could happen. When, when a grown-up man ring you up crying, what do you do? I sit there and I cry myself. Because I'm so far away from where they are. All I can do is calm them down and look for a solution and help them through it. And don't they have access to medical support for their mental health or even physical injuries or illnesses? Well, they have to be really, really bad for them to send to the hospital or whatever. Some of them are working while they're sick. If they stay home sick, they get a phone call. What's wrong with them? And they're threatened to be terminated. It's, it's like they're not human. They're not allowed to be sick. They're not allowed to have aches and pains. They're not allowed to be hungry, have to stop and eat. They're not allowed to go to the toilet. I mean, I'll probably get into trouble for saying all these things. But you know what? At the end of the day, they're human and they're our people. And we're here. We have to help support them. Wasa, you've been here for, you know, you've got family. You've been here longer than most of us. How did you get involved well, with helping these workers? Or why did you decide mm-hmm. to help? I think I've been here long enough to know how lonely life can be when you're away from your home in your country, your family. Because PNG, we always have extended families. And and the Pacific Island workers will be facing the same thing because we have very small-knit community back home. But when you step out of that environment and go to another country, even to another province, you will feel it yourself thrilled. If you, you know, go from your home environment to another province, you'll feel the loneliness, you miss your family. I lived in Australia for 36 years. I didn't see any Papua New Guinean. I was on my own. But I got involved in a lot of things. I was in school council. I worked in a school canteen. I coached sports and played sports. I was involved in the community. So that made me, didn't miss home so much. I, I miss home. It's always in the back of my mind. I wish I ate PNG food. Because that, that's our soul food. That's what gives us strength to survive. You want to see a familiar face. You want to feel the sense of belonging. When they come to my house, I treat them like my family because my, I miss my family back home. And these people are like a family. And they feel at home and get a sense of family when they come to my house too. There's no judgment. I tell them, you are here to do laboring work. I never look at you as a laborer. You are my family. And apart from cooking soul food and, you know, providing them counseling and advice like that, you also organize the sporting events as well. Yes. Um, first uh, event we did was Red Cross Ren uh, Unity Day. It's a family unity day. And they had like a, a emergency drill for bushfire and heat stroke and things like that, like preparing for summer. 
and we had some workers come down on the bus, which turned out really good. They had little mini soccer games and barbecue, and, you know, it was a family environment, and the boys actually were a little bit shy, and I said, no, get out there and join them and make friends, because if you're going to live in a community in South Australia, you have to, and there was a lot of Muslims and Christians, and, who, you know, there were a lot of different ethnic people that was there. And at the end of the day, they had a great time. And then January, we had Australia Day Parade, Australia Day Celebration, and the boys came down and joined us, and we participated. We did that in the parade. There was another lot of boys that came again. And then for Harmony Cup Day, February 19th, we had a, a rugby team, a PNG team, and our organization bought the uniforms and um, had the team up there. We had 20 players, 19 of them were seasonal workers, only one resident was in the team, and we actually won the cup. And that was my proudest moment, to actually see the boys won the cup, and it made them realize, too, that, oh, you know, we're not in our country, we're in another country, we're here as laborers, and we won the cup. It, it was a big thing, really big deal to them. And for me, they were praying after they won the game, and I was crying. It was my children. It's like I had 20 boys. My sons were out there playing, and they won. Now you're making me cry now. (laughs) They were so excited and so proud that even though they they were being threatened to get terminated and they had other issues they were dealing with, that didn't matter. In that moment, the excitement of they came, they played rugby, something they loved so much, and they won. That's a positive thing that happened to them. The organization has received a grant from Wellbeing South Australia to fund a suicide prevention service for workers from Papua New Guinea. They will also receive support from the Red Cross and Anglicare to travel to camps where the workers are based and offer this support. It's something that I've been wanting for a long time. We're going to go there because there's not enough transport for all the workers to come down. Now we're going to, we've got the grant. We're going to hire the bus. We're going to travel up there. The Red Cross is going to supply us with all the information pamphlets and stuff that I want to translate it into our language, uh, Pidgin and Motu. Because we've done like 150 care packages already for the workers that are here and we delivered that already to them. But unfortunately, because of we didn't have enough resources, we couldn't travel back to sort of check on them again, how they're settling and whatever. I just sort of received phone calls from them. So this will be the first trip we're going to make back to the, the camps. Uh, I've also linked up with the food bank where uh, I'll be collecting food and stuff for us to take with us when we go and then distribute food to them. They're getting uh, mental health uh, awareness through Red Cross. Red Cross also is, will be providing financial counseling. They're going to have a look at their pay slips and explain to them about the deductions, talk about their tax and super. So this this program will actually cover the other Pacific Islanders to not just PNG. Because while we're visiting the PNG people, my focus is on PNG workers. But when we go to the camp, there is other there are other Pacific Islanders at the camp, and we're going to do a data on them. How many from this country, like Fiji or Samoa or Tongan or where you know, how many people of Pacific Island people are actually at that camp? Because I'm happy to call the presidents of the local community organizations here and have a meeting with them and say, "Hey, you got this many of your people there. Can you do something about it? Go and help support them." 
it's time everybody take responsibility and help them. Well, so do they have wives and children that they have left behind and how does that impact yes. them? It's hard, but, you know, I, I sort of try to remind them that, you know, they're making sacrifice because, you know, they need school fees for their children and, you know, send money to, to better their life back home, their, you know, with their family. And it's a sacrifice they're making. They can go on annually once a year and visit their family. If they can afford it, maybe their family could come for a, a holiday to visit. But at the moment, the, the living condition is they're living in a boarding house and there's so many in one house. So it's impossible for them if the family want to come and visit. And so what would help these workers have a better experience with this seasonal workers program and the PAM scheme? First, first up, Ilda, it's the visa. The condition of that visa have to change because I feel that that visa condition is restricting the people. If they're terminated, they still hold another two years or three years working visa in Australia. So why don't they go and join another company rather than they send them straight back home? Secondly, they live in a boarding house. They're not getting taught a normal life in Australia. They don't know how to pay bills. They don't know how to pay rent. They don't know how to do all these things because all the deductions coming out without explaining to them what the deduction is for. And this is normal in Australia. If you live in Australia, you have to pay your bills and you have to do this and you have to do that. And, you know, teach them how to budget. That's not happening too. So at the end of the two, three years, and then they decide to give them permanent residency like the government is promising, how are these people going to survive? Because they don't know how to pay bills. They're not living a normal life. For me, I would rather they live in a house. If there's a three-bedroom house, let three men live in it. And and they have to know how to pay bills. Okay, the electricity bill is coming quarterly. The gas bill is coming quarterly. The rent is due weekly and this month. Help them budget. Teach them life skill. The ones that come for short term, three or four months, that's fine. They can live in a boarding house. But the ones that are here long term, they need their space. They need to have a normal life. That's Waso Matthews, who leads up Moitu Koita and Wantox Association, South Australia. I hope there are people like her all over Australia offering support to our Pacific labourers. If you are thinking about registering for PAM or a similar scheme, there is plenty of information available for you to do your own research. When you fill out the form, make sure you find out what types of jobs are available in the industries on the forms. If you can, talk to people who have done those jobs to find out what the workplaces are like. If you know what part of Australia you will be living in, try to contact the local cultural association. A lot of regional towns in Australia have multicultural organisations and there's always the local churches or football clubs if you're hoping to find a community. Get to know your rights as an employee. In Australia, the Fair Work Ombudsman website has information about wages, leave, workplace, safety and other conditions. And they handle unfair dismissal disputes if you are worried you'll be terminated for taking sick leave or asking for more training. Finally, if someone you love is working overseas in a wealthy country like Australia or New Zealand, try to understand that life probably isn't easy for them. The cost of living is much higher, and once they've paid for rent, food, utilities, and sent money back to their partner or children, they probably don't have anything left. And it can be lonely and isolating, even if they live in a boarding house with five other people. 
So let them know you love them and you appreciate their hard work. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. We contacted the Australian Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade about some of the concerns raised in today's episode about the PAM scheme. We have published their response in the show notes. Thanks to my guests today, Waso Matthews and Malaya Duituranga. Their insights into life for Pacific laborers has been very revealing. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, the practice of blackbirding in the 19th century separated thousands from their people and homelands. Now, in the 21st century, how are the Australian South Sea Islander descendants reconnecting with their Pacific Island families? The first sort of time that we connected, um, it was very emotional, talking, you know, about what could have been, you know, um, if he wasn't taken. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented and produced by me, Hilda Wayne. Our producer is Rachel Lucas, supervising producer is Kim Lester, and executive producer is Inga Stunsner. Sisters Let's Talk is produced on Wurundjeri, Gungai Kurnai, Durambul Jagara, and Turbul Country, and is an ABC Radio Australia production. I'm Tasol, and I'll bring you next time.